teach the deaf there and the hearing. So good to see you, young people. Dr. Edwards, thank you for being here. We love you, brother. And you come and preach God's Word. Amen. Thank you, preacher. Well, I've been ministered to tonight, have you? Amen. Lynette, that was a wonderful presentation. Yes, I was really blessed with that. And um, I was I was really blessed with just your whole presentation of what you're going to be doing. And I'm grateful for your service as a Christian school teacher. Amen. We had a Christian school at Heritage of 450 students. And uh, those Christian school teachers, they get rich off of what they're doing, you know. They... Honestly, they are the most servant-hearted people of any that I know, and I mean that. And uh, I want you to know that I appreciate your service, and I'm excited for what God is going to do with you in South Africa. And uh, that was just beautiful. Thank you, Miss Amber. Um, Well, we've been ministered to. These ladies have just really spoken to our hearts, or the Lord through them has spoken to our hearts. All right, I'm going to preach fast. You going to listen fast? Because, Amen. Turn in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to speak to you for a few moments this evening why every believer should be involved in faith promise. Why every believer should be involved in faith promise. Alright, 2 Corinthians 9, look at verse 6. But this I say... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able. Aren't you glad the Bible says that? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. I said last evening at the outset of my message that years ago I went on a journey to make sure that what I was doing and leading the church that God had allowed me to pastor in the right way, I wanted to know I was doing what God wanted us to do. I didn't want to reinvent, I didn't want a man's program, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel, I wanted to do what God wanted us to do. We certainly understand from last night, I think, that missions is done now the way they did it in the first century. Now we want to ask this question, how was missions funded? How did they get it done? And I believe that the answer is in the three verses that we just read. I would challenge you tonight to go find faith promise in the Bible. Now, I mean the word faith promise. We're having a faith promise missions conference. I'm glad of that. I'm for that. Don't think I'm doubting we're doing the right thing. But what I am saying to you is, you wouldn't find in the Word of God where the church at Antioch had a faith promise conference. You wouldn't find at the church at Jerusalem or Thessalonica, hey, it's our faith promise conference. So where did we get that? Well, let me give you a quick history. Um, There was a man in about 1880. He was a great man. He loved God. 
and he had a real burden for souls across the world. His name was A.B. Simpson. Maybe you've heard of him. He, he, he started a movement called the Christian Missionary Alliance. And with that burden, he wanted to send missionaries across the globe, and he knew that it was necessary to fund that in some way. And so, scripturally, he came up and called what they were doing in the CMA movement the Faith Pledge Movement. And to be honest with you, God blessed it. And there were millions saved and thousands sent out. God blessed it. Well, a few years later, in the early 1900s, a man named Dr. Oswald Smith pastored the People's Church in Toronto, Canada. And it was a great church, and he was a great preacher. It was not um, the People's Baptist Church, but it was Baptistic. It was a Baptist church. And Dr. Smith had an incredible burden, like Mr. Simpson did, to reach the world. If you go to that church today, you'll see on its back walls what the thought that drove J. Oswald Smith. And it was simply this. No man should hear the gospel twice until every man hears it at least once. And that drove him to reach the world with the truth of the gospel. But he had an issue. He was Baptist. And we don't like that word pledge. We don't like that. And so Dr. Oswald, or Dr. Smith, coined the phrase faith promise. Now you say, well, then it's a, it's something made of man. No. I believe that when you go to the New Testament, you will find what we call faith promise exactly in verse 9, or verse 8. Let's read it again. And God is able, there's the faith, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Here's a good work that God wants to accomplish, getting the Word, the Gospel, out to the nation. And here's a believer, and God says, I am able, by My grace, to make you have enough so that you can participate as I lead you in giving to the plan of reaching the world with the Gospel. I can make you abound so that you are sufficient in every good work to give that missions offering. Grace giving, Dr. Halsey, my mentor, used to call it. Now, if it's God's plan, then it would be wise for every believer to enter into God's plan to reach the world. And I want to give you five thoughts, that's scary, but five thoughts on why every believer should be involved. Here's number one. It's biblical. It's biblical. I want you to turn with me. Keep your place. We're coming back here to 2 Corinthians. But go with me to Philippians chapter 4, would you? I'm not going to re-preach my message last night. I'm willing, but I'm not going to. But we learned that God was leading churches to send out missionaries 
and to provide for the necessities of getting to the field so that the gospel could be preached. Again, I'll remind you that we have this notion that the Apostle Paul only ever made tents and was bivocational all his ministry. That's simply not true. There were times when he had to do that for testimony's sake, but the majority of his ministry, he was supported by local churches, like we are going to support missionaries, to get them to the place where God wanted them to be. Now, we're going to see one of those churches right now, and I want you to pick up the reading in verse 15. Chapter 4, verse 15, Philippians. Now, ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. What a great testimony for the, test, the church at Philippi. They were one of the first churches that began to support Paul in his ministry of preaching the gospel through the world. Look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Now get this. Not because I desire a gift. I said last night, one of the hardest things for a missionary to do is to stand up in front of people and ask for support. Give to me. That doesn't come naturally to any... Well, doesn't come naturally to any character person. But God sent them. God called them. And, and it's what is required of their life. And, and it's not because they want to be enriched by you. Again, I don't, I've never met rich missionaries. No, their motive is this. They want you to support them so they can get where God called them so that they can win people to Christ. And that is going to be, notice this, fruit that may abound to your account. They're not trying to get for themselves. The actual end of it is they're getting something for you. Amen. I, again, I don't want to be overly dramatic. But I truly believe that when I stand in heaven someday, I don't know how it's going to take place. I don't know who it's going to be. But I believe that because of what Paul is teaching us here, that there will be people who recognize us. You say, how will they recognize me if they're from the Philippines and I went to Crooked Creek Baptist Church? Because you and they will have perfect knowledge. And I don't know how it will be, and I don't know who it will be, but someone might very well come up to me and say, Hey, Pastor Edwards, thank you for sending, and they'll mention a name. Because they told me about Jesus Christ, and you supported them, and you prayed for them. And, and I want you to know, Mike, I'm in heaven today because you guys held that conference and supported that missionary, and they came to me and told me about Jesus. I believe that is as real as we sit here today. Now look what else it says. But I have all and abound... I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smelling, a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. 
Again, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but, but when we put our offering in this plate, faith promise offering, and it represents a sacrifice. It, it represents us saying no to ourselves and saying, man, I, I could have used this in another way, but, but I care about souls and I care about what God's trying to do across the world and I'm going to put it there. I, I don't mean to be silly, but I'm telling you what God says is when we give like that, there's an odor that goes up. And it is an odor that is acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Because God loves sacrificial giving. He gave His Son. His Son gave His life. He loves sacrificial giving. And we are willing, when we are willing to put ourselves second and God first and souls first, God says, that's that's well-pleasing to me. Then notice this. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hey, that is a a principle that is true about giving, period. But I want you to understand context is important. And the context of that great promise in verse 19 is missions giving. And it relates to what we just read in verse 8. God says, when you put yourself second, when you give to what my heart is burdened for, when you give so that others across this globe can hear the truth of the Word of God, I want you to know something. I will supply your need. God is able to make you abound. It's a missions promise. When we will put God's heart first. And people's need first. God says, I'll supply your need. Isn't it, isn't it something that Philippi was where the church of great joy was? Yeah, they're rejoicing and joy. The whole theme of the epistle is joy. You know why? Because when we finally get ourselves out of first place in our hearts and put others and God first, It brings joy. Why do we give to missions? Why should every believer give? Because it's biblical. It's what they did. Here's number two. It allows churches and Christians to experience the power of God. Notice again verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 8 again. God is able to make grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, I cannot swear this is true, but I read it on the internet, so it must be true. (laughs) That at any given time, we only employ about 16 to 20% of the ability of our brains. For me, it's down around 8%, all right? I don't know if that's true, but I don't doubt that that's true. And if I could just make a point, sometimes I think we as believers live our lives so timidly that we never realize in our lives what God could do. We are so prone to live our lives just short of having to truly trust. 
just short of really stepping out into faith. Just short of leaving our comfort zone. Just short of doing that thing that we're afraid to do. Thank you for your testimonies, ladies. Because that's it. We live on this side where we're safe. We live on this side where we understand and can manipulate. We live on this side where we're in control. I don't want to live over here where God's got to do something. But what a place to live. And you know what faith promises? It's an opportunity for every believer. Hey, you don't have to be called to the field, but you're still called to exercise faith. And it's an opportunity for every believer to stay, take a step and say, I don't know where that's going to come from. But it's going to be fun to watch God do it. Amen. Every year after our Faith Promise Conference, we would challenge people and, and they really would give and they would just do what they felt God was asking them to do and sometimes uncomfortably so. And I loved it because, preacher, I knew what was going to happen. In three to six months, I was going to start having people come to me, and they're going to start out by saying this, Preacher, you're not going to believe. And I say, I, I probably won't. What happened? You're God. And then they'd give me some story of how God increased their supply. I, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that raise. I wasn't expecting that promotion, but God did it. Sometimes they would... Uh, say, you know what God taught me? I could do without some things that we just needed to shed in our life. Sometimes God can teach us to be better stewards of what we have. But can I also say this to you? Sometimes God can teach us the grace of sacrifice. I, I say this, and please, please don't misunderstand this. I drink coffee, and I love coffee. And coffee is good unless you're Mormon. But I stood in Starbucks one day. And I was just, I go in and I just get a, a small cup of coffee. It's still two, two something. But there were two ladies in front of me and they got two of those foo-foo drinks. You know, the Carmelata, Bacalata, Semidata, whatever, semi-automatic Carmelata. And I heard the guy say to him. $13.53. Now, I'm not preaching against foo-foo drinks, okay? Have at it. But I'm also saying that if those ladies did that two or three times a week, and if they went to a fundamental church that had a faith promise conference, they might say to their pastor, I, there's just nothing we can give. And sometimes God just gives us the grace to say, I don't have to have that. If, if that would pay for a week or a half a week over a year, if that would pay some portion of that missionary being able to stand in, in that mud, mud hut, that camp, whatever it was, if, if, if doing without that would allow him to stand there or her to teach those children and to see some of those precious children saved, I do not need it. And I'm not telling you to do that, but I am saying that sometimes God can just give us grace to say, I don't need that. There's a greater cause, a greater need.
about this one? It allows Christians and churches to experience the biblical principle of sowing and reaping from a positive view. Look at verse 6. This I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. I am a independent fundamental Baptist preacher. I am an IFB. I admit it. All right? You know what that means? Can I interpret that for you? I don't want anybody to have fun ever. I don't, I'm negative. You show me something, I'll show you what's wrong with it. Amen? Now, the sad thing is, that's pretty close to true. <laughs> but, but sometimes I will preach the law of sowing and reaping. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And I will just launch into sin. But did you know the converse is true? That yes, it is unwise to sow sinful conditions and living and habits in our life. And we will reap what we sow. But did you know that if you sow good seed, you reap good things? That if we sow good seed, good harvest comes up. And if we will sow to the Lord in this matter of sacrificially, by faith, giving to the Lord, did you know that we will reap wonderful things in our lives? Hey, you say, well, does that mean if I give a 20, I'll reap a 50? No, it doesn't necessarily mean that. God is certainly able, and God is certainly known to give more than you give. But I want to tell you, there's a lot of things worth a lot more than a dollar bill in there. There's joy. There's satisfaction. There's seeing God work. They're seeing God work through our testimony in our children's lives. There's, there's the Holy Spirit empowering and bringing joy into relationships. I'm just telling you, if we will sow bountifully for the Lord, He will turn around and allow us to reap a wonderful harvest of the good seed we sow. What an opportunity missions is. I tell people... In many ways, this faith promise, and by the way, preacher, I love this faith promise card. You know what I love? The forward marks. We ain't going backward. C.T. Studd, a great missionary, his saying was, forward ever, backward never. And Crooked Creek Baptist Church is moving forward. You see which them arrows are going, don't you? And I'm just telling you what a blessing it is. This is a ticket to joy in 2023. Honestly, this is a ticket to blessing. I, 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 you know, sometimes you get a concert ticket or, or you go into the country fair and you get that ticket. Man, this is a ticket to joy in 2023. This is a ticket to a good harvest in 2023. A joyous harvest. You see, you're being silly again, preacher. No, I'm not. I'm just telling you, a man that sows bountifully reaps bountifully. Hey, here's number four. It's a free will heart offering for all believers who are part of a local church. Look at verse 7. Every man. Now, right away, I want you to understand that that word man is not gender specific. It doesn't mean every male. It means every believer, every person. 
So every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. That word purposeth is an interesting word. You say, preacher, what does it mean specifically? And that word purposeth mean, means literally to prioritize. To prioritize. You know what God is saying? God is saying that there ought to be a time when we're thinking about what we're going to give to missions where we just examine what we're doing and, and we prioritize what we're doing. We sit down and we take a look and we say, what am I doing here? And what am I doing here? And, and what could I do over here? And, and set priorities and priorities that will allow us to give. Every person should do that. We had three children. We used to have what was called family altar. And we would sit around our table at dinner time. I would try to be home for every dinner. Usually I had to go back out in the evening, but every dinner we would sit together, we would eat and pray, talk about the day. But one of the things that we would do is give our children an allowance. Now, I was a Baptist preacher, so their allowances were huge. I mean, they might have been up to 25 cents when they were little, and maybe they worked up to a dollar. But I'm telling you, around that table... We'd establish two things. We would read a missionary letter, pray for a missionary family. Not every night read the letter, but every night pray for the need of that missionary family. And, and we would teach our children, you tithe off of your allowance. And it wasn't, hey, we'd like for you to tithe. It was, that's God's, you tithe. But in that same conversation, we would say something very different. But you know what? You ought to also give something to missions, but that's between you and the Lord. I'm telling that to a five-year-old. I'll never forget watching my little Joshua go into his kindergarten class, and it was Faith Promise Day, and he had had a card, and he had a card, and he thought he was supposed to give it to his Sunday school teacher. He didn't know you save it for junior church. What's wrong with that kid? But he took it into his Sunday school teacher. She later came and said, you know... Josh gave a nickel to missions. I don't know if that's meaningful to you. To a daddy and a mommy's heart that are trying to put that into the heart of their child, it slayed us. It knocked us over at five years old. I had ushers, preacher, we would we had 900, 1,000 people on a Sunday morning, and I had ushers that would come, and we'd have a stack of cards I don't know, that big. And they'd come and say, Preacher, that takes a lot of time to count these cards. I said, yeah, isn't that great? And they'd say, you know, some of these are for a penny. Some are for a dime a month. Do you mind if we just eliminate those? (laughs) Has you ever had one of them where it starts in the bottom of your feet and works all the way to the top of your head? And I, I said kindly, I said, guys, please understand. That penny is nothing to us. And that nickel is just another card to count in another pile. But I said that nickel might really represent a kid who is getting a burden for missions. That someday because he has prioritized someone else before him. And I don't know about you, but man, our generation of young people sure could do with a dose of 
of putting someone before themselves. I said, God's getting a hold of a heart there. And so I said, I know it takes extra time. And I know it doesn't add up to a lot. But we're counting every card with a penny on it. Every card with a nickel on it. Every card with a dime on it. I've had people through the, through the years, preacher, say, Well, preacher, you, you talk about purposing and prioritizing and what you don't understand. And we never understand, do we? I, always, I get that all the time. Preacher, you just don't understand. I don't understand nothing. They say, you just don't understand. I'm on a fixed income. Yeah, I know. Prioritize. Purpose. Remember that lady? Jesus went down to the treasury and told the disciples, hey, let's go down. I want to observe people giving. <laughs> that was scarce. Jesus watches us give. And the, the big guys came by and dropped in hundreds or thousands or whatever it was. And, oh, there was great fanfare. And then a little widow came. And she gave two mites. You say, how much is a mite? Not much. And Jesus looked and said, you know, that little widow hath given more than all the others. How can that be, preacher? Because they have given out of their abundance. They have given what is comfortable to give. They have given what they can figure won't hurt. They've walked up to the line of sacrifice and said, nope, no further. But she hath given all she had. And her two cents or more. I'm just telling you, it's every person, every man purposeth, every man purposeth, every man prioritize, struggle with it, struggle with it. Church, I'm asking you to struggle with it. I'm asking you to really think about it, consider it, really walk up to the line and say, well, this is what I did last year. I think I'd be comfortable doing that. No, forward ever, backward never. Oh, God, help me to trust you, to give, to prioritize. Here's number five, and I'm done. I love this. It's an offering that proves an individual believer's love for Jesus Christ. Not my words, but the words of the Lord. Look in chapter 8 and verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. Let me just stop there. To prove the sincerity of your love. Did you know, you don't know me well, but can I tell you something? Words come easy to me. My wife says, God created silence for me to fill with talking. Words come easy to me. I can say, I love you, honey. Hey, I love you, baby. I love you, Nance. And I say it often, often, often. So often that my words, if they're not backed up by action, carry no meaning. I finally learned what my wife's love language was. <laughs> Only took me 52 years. <laughs> It's, I could give her a gift. I could bring her home roses and she'd say, well, I've got to get a vase. I, I, I could give her words of affirmation. You're so pretty. Well, I, she, she'd probably say back to me, I know. 
But brother, if I do the dishes, that woman loves me. Because her love language is acts of service. And my words don't prove the sincerity of my love. My acts of service do prove to her the sincerity of my love. Now notice what that followed. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye, through His poverty, might be made rich. God help us to see it. Jesus loved us and gave Himself for us. I love Jesus. And I just want a convenient walk with Him. I don't want to set priorities. Because you see, I love me. I like me having security. I like me having what I love and like and want. And sometimes I've got to be like Jesus and walk up and say, no, I'm going to do without that. And I'm going to step across that line because Jesus, just like you made yourself poor so that I could be rich, you have made me rich. You remember where God got you? You remember where God got you? You ain't so much. And neither am I. When I was a little boy, when we went shopping, there wasn't shopping malls. You had to go downtown Cincinnati to go shopping. And you went down to the department store, Shilatos and McAlpins back then. And, and when you went shopping, if you were in Edwards, we were poor. Dad had tuberculosis, was out of work for years. I never lived in a home that my grandma didn't own. But when you went down as an Edwards, you did not walk in on the first floor and buy your clothing. You did not go upstairs to buy your clothing. You went downstairs to what was called the bargain basement. Been there? Me too. You know where God found me? The bargain basement. And he gave everything for a wretch. He loved me. And he loved you. And we come to moments like this. And we realize that he, he gave it all for us. And we come to a point where we say, Lord, if I'm going to have the mind of Christ, and if I'm going to imitate you, then... In your leadership, not Edwards telling me, but in your leadership, I'm willing to go across that line of comfort. I'm willing to trust you so that others may have the incredible blessing of knowing you like I have. That's faith promise. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for these few minutes you've given us. And Lord, I, I love this place and I love these people. I know their hearts are to love you and serve you. And I pray, God, that just all of us tonight, you'd lead us. And that we would just consider tonight the incredible blessing we have.
of knowing you and the great need this world has to know you. And may we, may we enter into this plan, this biblical plan of giving, knowing that as we give, you will give to us. By your grace, you'll make us sufficient to do it. Hmm. May we understand that we can sow and reap a great harvest. May we understand that, Lord, we can trust You and others can have what we have and know what we know. So help us to enter in to faith promise. And I pray tonight now, and I'm done, would You help all of us to struggle all the way to next Sunday? Oh, I don't mean be miserable, but I mean to be careful, to prioritize, to purpose. I'm going to give, and it's not really comfortable what I'm going to name, but God, I believe, I believe you're telling me and leading me. And I want to make a statement of trusting you and loving you. Help us to see it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Quietly, would you stand to your feet? Preaching's done. We've heard these wonderful testimonies. Hey, let's, let's right now struggle with God. Let's prioritize. Let's purpose. And as these instruments play a verse or two, whether in your seat or at this altar, I know you want to. I, I know you want to do what God wants you to do. Would you begin this great purposing, this prioritizing, this struggling in your heart to have the faith to step across, to go forward, not backward? As God leads, would you come?